0: Have any props with me, but were I to bring out a glass just as you would have in your cabinet or maybe in your dishwasher, and I would draw a line around the center of that and then pour water into that glass to that line, I would ask you. Is this cup filled, half full, or is this cup half empty? You've heard this before. But it's a good sort of measure of how you view things. There are a lot of folks that we know that are half full. They see that while there's some things missing, there are some things not there, we're going to work with what we've got. There are some other folks that you know, and it could be you that are half empty folks. Forgetting the fact that I've still got half a glass of water that I could drink, we fret and worry and lament about the fact that half of our water is gone. Today we're going to talk about the attitude of worship. This is the second of three things that we talked about over this month. And in John chapter 4 and verse 24 from the other day, we talked about the object of worship. And how God, who is the Spirit, must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. But today, we're going to talk a little bit more here on what attitude is. And why attitude in worship is important. I want to start, though, with something. It's just an article that I came across from, uh, from a couple years ago, December of 2017. It's called Why Attitude Matters. <laughs> this is not a religious article. This was like, a, it was like a business journal or something like that. But I want us to think about these things here in a religious sense for just a couple of months. So, start with. Attitude, the article said, was the invisible driving force behind the way that we live our lives. I think almost everybody would agree with that. We know people that are good attitude, that are bad attitude, that somewhere in the middle. The half empty, half full kind of thing. The second one, though, says attitude lies behind our thought patterns. What we think about and what we think about people that we come in contact with. I actually found this to be a little bit deeper than the first sentence. Because does our attitude interject in how we think about things? Is there a negative or a positive in that? The third thing the article said, attitude determines how we view our world. What we think, what we do, what we do not do, what we pay attention to, and what we choose to ignore. I found that kind of fascinating that our attitude plays a role in that. You know, sometimes we talk about people that are actively seeking out trouble or on the flip side, actively seeking out to do good. Is our attitude there in what we're choosing to focus on? Attitude, and in particular, a bad attitude, can make us backward-looking, defensive Kevin was almost stepping there just a little bit when he started talking. And negative. And I want to focus on these last two real quick in the church. Too often, I think what Kevin said was probably right. That we get a little bit backward looking, a little bit defensive, and a little bit negative. We've always done it that way. Right? We get a little bit defensive. Defensive. Are you saying what we did was wrong? Well, you're wrong. Or the flip side of that, a good attitude determines whether our purpose could be not backward looking, but forward looking, positive, and thinking about growth. You know, think about this for just a moment. The positive attitude, the good attitude, I know what we've done, but how can we be better? I am really happy that you're here. I would like to know what we can do to be even better. You know, I find myself kind of intrigued by the fact that a lot of times people in the church lament the fact that our numbers are a little smaller. But then sometimes we say, well, I can't even fathom the thought of doing something any different than what we've already done. Yeah, a little flexibility. Now I'm not talking about doctrinal changes, but we joked about this on Wednesday night. The change in the communion can cause people up in arms for years, right? We're going to do that before the reading. If we're not careful, we fall into these ruts, these sort of things, and our attitude falls into that rut too. I have a positive no, I have a negative attitude, and then question why people maybe don't want to be here, why people didn't enjoy it. Was the attitude negative? Is everybody sitting around with a glass half empty of water when you come in? Do we approach worship ourselves with a glass half empty of water? What we're going to look at today are some things. I wrote the word focus, but you can work the word check. You can write the word change. I'm good with any of these. But there are things that we have to check when it comes to attitude, when it comes to worship. Attitude check number one. Focus number one. Whatever we want to call it are our preconceptions. Okay, A preconception is something that I believe, something that I think I know before I even get into that place. Before we go into anything, this is what I think I already know. Well, the first thing is we are not just getting a ticket punched when we come to worship. We are not, I teach school every single day and I have a handful of kids that are getting their punch. They are simply saying, I am just here because the court will come get me or get my mom if I don't come. They are getting their ticket punched. Nobody is requiring you to be here. So if our notion of attendance of church and worship is simply to get my ticket punched, get my hand stamped, I was here done for the week, then our attitude of worship is completely wrong. Amen. So let's think about then how do we check that? Well, for these preconceptions. Well, the first preconception is that of a false Sacrifice, and for that I want to turn to uh, Micah chapter six, verses six through eight. We've got a few verses that we're going to look at, and we're going to be sort of all over the place. So if you've got your Bible, you'll need to be flipping back and forth. Matthew chapter, Micah chapter six, verses six through eight. With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the High God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, which calves with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? See, these first few verses here in chapters, uh, in verses six and seven, the guy's asking, what do I need to do? How much should I bring in? All this stuff. But that's not what the requirement was. The requirement there is in the last verse, verse 8, to do justly to love mercy and walk humbly with God. Sacrifice is a lot more than just throwing some animals on an altar. And we talked about that. We've talked about it quite a bit. But we've talked about how that in the old law, they would come forth, they would have to sacrifice these different animals or whatever. And they would do that, you know, every year uh, at the atonement. And how the fact was that in many cases, if you're not careful, it just sort of becomes a checklist. We talked about that. But our sacrifice is not just following, well, I'm giving X amount of money. I'm doing this work. I'm doing well. That's not what we're looking for. Are we doing it justly? Are we loving mercy? Are we walking humbly? That's the question that has to be. So our worship can't just be this mechanical, well, I'm here. Here we are. Let's do it. I'm here. Let's do it. It can't be with that approach. We have to check that preconception of false sacrifice. What about the second one? Preconception of formalism. Josh talked about this just a minute ago. Josh thought I looked formal today with my shirt and tie. I don't wear a whole, I don't wear ties a whole lot. I had to wear ties when I was in administration school, and I got tired of wearing ties, and so I stopped wearing ties. But tell me if you've ever heard the statement, "Somebody's got on their Sunday best," looking be good, right? Got my Sunday best. All right. Every now and then at school in the fall, we have a, a homecoming dance. And in the spring, they have a, a prom. And the people dress up formally, right? And we know what formal attire is. Most of us couldn't get into the prom with our outfits today. We got to have the tux and gotta have, you got to have all that kind of stuff right there. But there's an idea of formalism that sometimes seeps into worship. Well, I'm going I'm not necessarily concerned with what's going to happen. But I'm going to look good. And everybody's going to say, did you see his hat? Did you see her dress? Did you see that suit that he had on? Now, in no way did I want you to talk about my tithes. And Josh just stepped all over that point there a minute ago. But to bring this idea of formalism. In a sense, this sort of idea that I'm going to worship, not to worship, but to be seen. But to be fancy. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that that happens as much as maybe it used to. Right. But it, it may still. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, it says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do you not touch? Do you not taste? Do you not handle? Which all concern things which perish with using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom, have an appearance of self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. These were people that were sort of modifying the way that they did themselves. You know, people that would sort of make their face look like they had been fasting. You're reading about that, right? They would make themselves sort of modify. The, the Pharisees would, right? And, and they did this so that people would look and say, "Wow, look how religious they are." If we're not careful, we can wear our best suit on Sunday so that people drive by and we'll see how religious we are. That idea, that can happen to us if we're not careful. Our method of worship can look religious. We can present ourselves as humble, we can fast, we can neglect our body, but what of those are just actions. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't dress nice. I don't, I, that doesn't matter. But make sure that we're doing this for the right reason. Make sure our attitude is here to worship God, not to be seen by other people, not to adjust things so that everybody is looking at us. Number three, the preconception of presumption. You know what I mean, to presume something? To presume this idea of sort of, I already know that, right? 1 Samuel chapter 15 We're going to read verses 13 through 23 here to start with. 1 Samuel 15, verses 13 through 23. This is Samuel and Saul. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the soil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul presumed to know what God wanted. He'll be pleased that we took the best of these things. Samuel told him it's not what he wanted. The responsibility was to go and utterly destroy everything. And they utterly destroyed everything. Almost everything. But Saul presumed to know what needed to be known. We can't presume to know what God wants. But instead, we got to use God's word to show us that way. And when we have worship, our worship needs to follow and focus on the word of God. No other questions can be asked about Number two. The second check, the second focus, whatever we want to call it, is a lack of focus. We talked a little bit about this last week. I just want to throw it in here just a moment. But the, we have to put aside the worldly concerns and focus on spiritual concerns. I don't know that you've ever been to church and heard that, right? I would say every single one of you have heard that numerous times. Over the years. So let's talk about three things that we need to focus on to start with. First of all, as we read there a moment ago, as Ben read just a moment ago, we got to focus on the spiritual. Our attitude during worship has to be focused on the spiritual. Without focus on the spiritual, we're going to lose that spiritual aspect. Yes, as we said last week, church can become a culture center. Church can become a a theme park or a birthday party or whatever we want it to be. But we gotta keep our focus on spiritual if we're not careful. Amen. Because if otherwise we put the religious part, the spirit part, we put the gospel part aside and we're focused more on entertainment, enjoyment. Well what can we gotta avoid that. Amen. That's a lack of focus. And if we're not careful and without good leadership that kind of thing happens. And I pray that we'd always have that kind of leadership that would keep that from being the case. Number two, we have to focus on faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness is the song, right? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of the blood by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, go a little further. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking and assembling ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see that day approach. The focus has to be on faithfulness. When do we lose faith? When do we lose faith? When does our faith start to weaken and waver? A lot of times it's when things happen that sort of Change in our world, right? Maybe sometimes it could be something bad happens and we sort of lose our faith if we're not careful. Or it might be something like, everything just seems to be really good. I'm not too worried about it. But faith is a focus. I want to see something here in just a second about an example of that. But faith has to be focused because with anything, if we're not focusing, what will happen? You've got jobs. You've work. If you don't focus, it can be a mistake made real easy. Ben, I think about your work. Not the, not the AP work, but the, but the blacksmith work. If you lose focus on something, you can destroy a whole day's worth of work in one second. Or you can destroy your hand in one second if you're not careful as well. I think about people like Mary's job. She deals a lot with numbers. If you lose focus, it's all out of whack. And then you've got to go all the way back to figure it out. Well, how is our religion not the same way? If we're not solely focused on that, what will happen? We'll harm ourselves. We'll lose our way. We've got to go back and start all over again. There's a good example of that in Matthew chapter 14. We have to focus and center ourselves on God. This is Matthew chapter fourteen, verses twenty-seven through thirty-three, and this is Jesus walking on the water, right? You remember the story? But immediately Jesus spoke to them, and saying, "Be of good cheer; it is I. Do not be afraid." And Peter answered to him and said, "Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." Peter said, "If this is you, let me let me walk out there to you." We know how the story goes. Let's go a little further. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And I guarantee you, the first thing that Peter thought was, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on water. I, I, You ain't never done that. I'm walking on water right here. But almost immediately... What happens to Peter is what would happen to us as well. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, the wind's blowing, he's afraid. He begins to sink and he says, Lord, save me. He was walking in the wind. I'm walking on water. Oh, oh it's kind of windy. Oh, man, I tell you what, I, I got to, you know, you know, all of a sudden he starts to sink. What happened to Peter right there? What was wrong with him? His focus went from where it was supposed to be to things that were distracting from the other side. Which way? The wind was. His focus was lost. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. You ever heard the statement, keep your eye on Christ? Keep your focus. We got to walk in a straight line. We got to walk as fast as we can in that direction. But any kind of movement will make it difficult. All of you guys uh, that drive can be aware of this, right? It doesn't take very much of a lack of focus at all. And we can be over on the white line or across the yellow line. One slight movement. The phone just rang. Or I just turned the radio on. Or whatever One slight thing. We have to be attentive and focused. And I want to use that example as a car real quick. Because if we're not careful, what will happen? We're in the ditch. We're an oncoming traffic, it may all be over. I firmly believe that in this story in Matthew, right here, Peter could have walked a hundred miles if he kept staring at Jesus the whole time. But a little bit of wind blew and knocked him out of the way. Where's that wind coming for you? What's the wind that's blowing you out of the way that's keeping our focus from being there? Number three. Gotta check on the heart. This weekend's been a tough weekend if you was a Kentucky fan. Like I don't know, if it's been a tough weekend. It's over before the weekend even started. Uh, it was a tough Thursday night if you are a Kentucky fan. But if you're like me, you like basketball and watch a lot of basketball this weekend. And I didn't watch it, but I know that LSU played well. A couple days ago, LSU's coach got fired. They've been cheating. They've been doing all kinds of nonsense, and he got fired. Well, they got beat in their first game. And I heard an announcer say, it just didn't seem like their heart was in it. You ever heard that statement before? It just didn't seem like their heart was in it. I can understand that if my coach, who asked me to come to play there, probably was paying me, was uh, was sending me out to play, and then he didn't get to be there anymore, I could see that I'd be upset. I want to play for this fella. And their heart wasn't in it. And just like that, 40 minutes after their tournament started, it was over. Because our heart wasn't in it. In worship. Our heart has to be in it. But have we ever worshiped? Well, let me tell you that. Have we ever done our jobs when our heart wasn't in it? Was that the best day of work you ever put forth? Probably not. We can all think of good days at work and we can all think of bad days, right? And those bad days were terrible. And a lot of times there's more of the bad ones than there are of the good ones. But sometimes we force that on it because our heart just isn't in. I would rather be anywhere than teaching school or than at this factory or driving this truck or whatever it might be. I'd rather be anywhere. If we're not careful, can that attitude creep into our worship? Our heart may not be in. I would rather be anywhere than right here. If we're not careful, that creeps in, right? i got. I, I want to do this or I want to do. But I just our heart. Maybe not in Psalm chapter fifty one, verse seven says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart." O God, Thou wilt not despise. Isaiah says, "Those with the right heart for worship is who God allows to dwell with Him, whom God looks on with favor." So it kind of makes me think there in Isaiah chapter sixty six, what we see there that if our heart isn't right in our worship, there may not be a dwelling place in heaven when it's over. That's concerning, right? But our heart has to be in. Paul writes in Romans that that's where the praise of God rests and that's in the heart. So our heart has to be checked on. Our heart has to be a focus area. Our heart has to be a major component of the attitude of our worship. If we go back and look at some things there just a moment ago, if we think about our heart not being in it, but those are problems that we address in the first couple of points, right? Our heart has to be in there. We have to have that focus. So to wrap up, attitude's got to be correct. Attitude has to be correct. I don't know that there's anything wrong with being a half full or half empty kind of person. I think that our brains are sort of wired that way. And different people's experiences may drive them to view things in a different manner. But our attitude has to be correct. And so our focus has to be on the three things that we've looked at today. First of all, focus one, preconception. You've got to change any preconceptions of what we think worship should be. And instead, be on what God wants worship to be. Number two, we've got to have the focus. We can't be distracted. We can't be removed from what we're doing. We can't be like Peter thinking about the wind when our focus needs to be on a straight line as we walk. And number three, heart has to be in the right place. Because if our heart's not in it, rip all the other stuff down because you're just putting in time, getting the ticket punched. And it doesn't seem like from what we read, but there's a dwelling place in heaven in this life and over there's anything we can do for you, any way that you're asking change, anything that can that be done, we'd invite you to come while we're standing and so. sing. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling me home.